0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on September the 5th, 2023. I'm your host, Gaming Psychologist, and with me, as always, getting some superpowers and going to hell
1: uh, Caffeine Rage, and I, I think I'm already there. Touche.
0: On to today's in show. A red state. me too. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing some games that we have played. Japan is getting Gaming Cup Noodle designed for gamers, which contains caffeine and more. Embracer Group shuts down the Saints Row developer Volition. Valve is coming for Dota 2's Smurf accounts and the main accounts behind them. And new. Tell Steam if your game supports DualShock or DualSense controllers. Timestamps will be in the show notes, following their
1: respective topics. Hello, Rage. Yeah, maybe I should editorialize that one a little bit more. But to be fair, you did copy and paste it.
0: I did copy and paste it. Uh but yes. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. I don't know why I did. I don't know why I said that twice. Don't mind me. I am. I'm well, tired. Is it a good evening. It's it's pretty good evening, honestly. Um, I had a pretty solid first day back after a very long weekend i had my psych conference i went to thursday and friday and then had some uh time in nashville over the weekend um i uh, did some
1: car repair
0: that was pretty cool uh,
1: finally uh d your car
0: oh no that's still at the ford dealership waiting on the parts for the warranty repair on the transmission i haven't had that car for six weeks <laughs> and I might not have it for six more weeks. Who knows? Um, no. So we have two Ford Foci. Focuses. Focuses. Yeah. We have two. Um, and the other one, the wiring on the tr- that goes to the trunk, um, or like the taillights and brake lights and the little trunk release latch, got cut. Like, what I think happened was that something got in there up against the harness. And when we slammed the trunk shut, it just, like, cut it. And, um, because I know how to solder and own a soldering iron and, and everything, I just soldered it back together. Um, I got out there, my kid helped me hold everything in place. Uh, a car trunk at an awkward angle is is really hard to solder, actually, so it is definitely not my best work. But it does work, so... Saved me... I don't know, 200, 250 bucks on car repair. Mm-hmm. Maybe more. I don't know. I don't know what a mechanic would have charged me. But that was fun. Um, and also, I am now a uh, certified anxiety specialist, which doesn't really mean anything, just that I comp- completed this training. Mm-hmm. Um, learned some interesting facts about how. Now,
1: now, tell me, does it make you anxious to know that you're certified?
0: No, it does not. I'm well. I, I know that you're joking. Like for the most part, I don't suffer from anxiety that I that people wouldn't consider normal. You know, everybody experiences anxiety from time to time. Big situations or tense situations, maybe. Um,
1: or situations it, intense.
0: Yes, but um, you know, I don't have an anxiety disorder. Now, depression, I got that in spades. I feel sad all the time, man. I mean, I, I joke about it to cope, but, like, I actually do struggle mm-hmm. with some pretty serious depression issues. You and I have talked about that from time to time. For the most yeah, part... Yeah,
1: I make you feel better about uh, capturing a spaceship.
0: Yeah. For the most part, between, you know, the therapies I've had over the years and a good support system, I can... And drugs. Yeah, although I don't take drugs for that, but... I can more or less handle it, but I still have bad times. But anyways, yeah. Had a good conference. Learned a lot about how LGBT people in particular are affected by anxiety living in red states and also post COVID. Yeah. I mean it's you know, it's obvious on its face. Like I'm not surprised to know that LGBTQ people are more anxious living in a red state, but some of the specific statistics and unique presentations and things. Like it was it was interesting. I, I learned a lot. So what, uh, what about you? What have you been up to? How have you been?
1: I've been alright. Been trying to wade through all the Starfield news because, hey, it's Starfield Day. Everybody's going absolutely batshit over this game.
0: Yep. Ugh. You've played it a smidgen. We're not going to talk about it this week. Unless... I, I, I mean, I, I guess played you could it, it you enough to, to, but...
1: I played it enough to get the ship, which they give you a spaceship in like 10 minutes. Because... Spaceship!
0: All right. Have you ever seen the Lego movie? <laughs> no. Okay, well that's what me screaming Spaceship was about.
1: Don't mind me. And, yeah, I've already had, like, you know, cognitive dissonance with some of the stories. Like, how do you know this? Because, um, I, I didn't, I, I said I didn't see anything. That I blacked out. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's Bethesda storytelling uh, through and through. I, I made a choice. Choice didn't matter. It, you're going through anyway. Yeah. I said that I don't want to go uh, with the, uh, you know, the random explorer that just shows up that says, okay, well, you're going with me. Uh, don't care, you're going with them anyway, right?
0: Yeah. I would have played it for the same amount of time you did if I had known that it was releasing early. Like, there was the countdown, I saw the countdown, but for some reason my countdown showed the wrong
1: time. Uh, maybe you didn't refresh the countdown. Possibly. I mean, my. Like I like, I, like you said, you hadn't restarted in a while, so. No, my you, PC had been on for at least five days. Yeah, so maybe, you know, it like cached the uh, the page on uh, Game Pass. Yeah. But uh, for Game Pass, it released at 8 o'clock, uh, you yeah, know, about an hour before we start recording. So. Yeah. Uh, it's very possible that, you know, it was just cached and. All right. Yeah. I mean a majority of the time I spent it was uh yeah looking around trying to figure out the settings because I'm like a couple steps below the minimum on uh the graphics uh card <laughs> and a few steps above on the processor and trying to just dial in there and uh and let it compile shaders because that's a thing, I guess. Yeah. And also, Marvel at, at Bethesda's been using the same goddamn UI for like twenty years now, and it sucks just as much. Yep, I mean, I it's, I it's the Skyrim UI all over again.
0: I messaged there, you about a, this the other day yeah, that there was a, a modder who, for the like early release version, because if you bought like the special whatever, you could play it. Mm-hmm. What since Friday?
1: Yeah, something I like know. that.
0: Yeah, how that there was already a modder that had released a UI fix that people were really, really pleased with.
1: Yeah, because they do the same thing with uh, in this as they did Skyrim, where you know, like half the screen is taken up by the 3D model of the object you're looking at, and well, the and all, it's pointless. <laughs> yeah,
0: there have been a few games that have done. I guess you could say neat gimmicks with that, where like you can look at at them and interact them. But after the new, the neatness wears off. It just—I I mean, don't understand it.
1: I mean, Skyrim—it used that for one puzzle and one dungeon that I can remember.
0: Yeah, with the claw. Where,
1: yeah, where you had to look at like the back of it to get a code or something. Yep, to get the solution and, and to the that, tile and, puzzle, and that was the only time I remember them uh, making use of that. So I'm imagining it's probably going to be the same here, if not, you know, just, uh, you know, just a holdover from the engine.
0: Yeah. If it's not just a cosmetic thing only, which it might be.
1: Yeah, like, one of the things uh, I picked up was a magnet that looks like the Buckyballs, you know, that I I don't think is legal to sell in the U.S. anymore. Yeah. Uh, And it's just, is a cube of, of orbs, and it's just like why does it need to be a 3D model? I mean, I mean, does, why does it need to be a 3D model in the UI, you know?
0: I'm sure we'll have more to say about this in the near future. We've, we haven't we have decided, but you suggested maybe we do it as a Game Club game. But, I mean, yeah. I'm going to play it this week yeah. and this Yeah, weekend. let's see how
1: it runs on your computer first. Because you're, like, right at the cusp on uh, the requirements.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to run fine. Like, I hear you, and I'm going to check it out and, like, make sure but I really think it'll run fine. Like, it's, we, we were starting to have this conversation a little bit, and, like, I couldn't find any concrete information in the 30 minutes we were talking before starting recording. But, like, I'm curious what their actual target, like, regu- resolution and, like, graphics settings are. Because, mm-hmm. you know, ten I, I still use two 1080p monitors and only one of them for gaming, and the other one's my secondary yeah. monitor that I do stuff on. So, you know, it's not like I'm pushing, like, a why would that be a 31 no 1920 3840 by 1080 monitor Mm -hmm. like it's not like i'm doing that you know so and 1080p is a very old resolution at this point you know and i don't mind to set my frame rate to 60 you know i can limit it to 60 i don't have to push it to 144 so i think it'll be fine but, who knows? I mean, my, my PC is still stronger than a modern gaming console, and if it'll run fine on gaming consoles, it'll run fine on my PC.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, is that um, every, every place you look at the minimum specs and recommended specs, it's all regurging the same thing on uh, uh, the text sheet. But does it say what the resolution is, right?
0: Yeah, they never say what the resolution or target frame rate are. So I do meet the minimum spec for the GPU. Um, mm-hmm. Technically, my processor is older, but I'm I'm running it with a slight overclock, so I sh- it should be fine. And I, you mm-hmm. know, I've got enough RAM. I've got fast enough RAM. I've got it installed on my SSD.
1: Like, I yeah, I taking up like half my uh, C drive because right.
0: Yeah, I just shuffle some things around. I have, like, 200 phantom gigs on my C drive that I can't identify what's taking them up. I'm, th- I'm thinking it's, like, cloud storage and, like, Windows, like, bloat. But before I, like, you know... I know
1: Gamers Nexus did a big, ter- uh, uh, big uh, chart of Starfield with uh, GPUs and CPUs. So, uh, I need to go look at in depth on that one.
0: I like how we've talked about Starfield for yeah what five six minutes, and I haven't played, and you've only barely played.
1: We've and played. We uh, I played for about as long as we've talked about it, and that's mostly because the characters uh, walk slow. Yeah,
0: so we'll we'll come back to this in a week or two. At the even if it's just have a bare minimum conversation because we mm-hmm. did decide to do some gang club on it, but. I mean, I think it will warrant, like, a basic discussion anyways of, like, does this game run? Because, I mean, like I said, I do have the minimum hardware specs. So, it's like, you know, I have a GTX 10, 1070 Ti. I've got an i7 4790K, mm-hmm. which is overclocked. Um, and then I've got 32.
1: See, I'm, I'm also a little bit uh, on the fortunate side where I have an AMD machine.
0: Yeah. So... But then I've got 32 gigs of RAM that is slow. Like, it's DDR3, and I've pushed it to 2,000-something megahertz. I can't remember off the top of my head what the DDR3 range is for that, which is, you know, bottom of the barrel for DDR4, but, like, I never have problems with it.
1: It looks like there's a, like, a mega thread on the Starfield subreddit going with uh, people uh, giving their specs and what their frame rate is, so... Might be something to check out.
0: 2133 megahertz is what my RAM is is clocked at. Which is blazing fast for DDR3, you know. If you've got DDR4, then that's like bottom of the barrel. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have never had a single problem running any game I've ever tried to play on this machine. Unless the game was broken. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I eventually, it'll, it, it will, you know get overshadowed but that's one of the reasons why that i keep saying well yeah i'll upgrade my pc this year or maybe next year and then i never do because i don't have to and it's not broken but anyways uh do do you do do you want to go talk about some other games that yeah we we can Uh, okay
1: do you want me to go first or
0: uh you can or i can go first since i have three and you've got one like two at least two of mine are going to be pretty short
1: okay well you can go first then
0: okay so first on my list there's a game by the name of Ixion. Um Ixion is a sci-fi survival city builder game. Um a whole bunch of this type of game popped up after, at least as as near as I can tell, uh, Frostpunk. Um mm. and the point of, of this game, and like all of this is within like the first hour to two hours of the game, and like also it's in like the blurb um it, you are the the manager of a of a space station for this big space corporation and uh, you know you're 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 going to be leading the way to colonizing the solar system and then there is a massive calamity that results in the near destruction of the human race and so you have to set out to find a new solar system for humanity to colonize and inhabit, and you do so aboard um, uh, the ship called the Tycoon. Uh, the game is called Ixion, but the, the the space station slash spaceship that you have is called the Tycoon. Um, I have mixed feelings about this game. For the most part, I really like it. The the parts where it it like sticks for me, though. They they stick hard, but let's let's start with the positives first. The game is gorgeous, um, which really surprised me. Like, not that I thought that it would look bad, but they really, really put the time and effort into designing a very near. Because in in the timeline, this is like 2050 or something like that when it takes place. So this is like relatively near future. Um, so. You know, it feels like it could be near future for everything except for like the piece of sci-fi tech that enables faster than light travel that they discover um and are and are using. Um but it, it feels very near future tech. The designs are excellent. They got some really good voice acting. Um the, the score is beautiful. Um, and it it has several different tracks that really never get old um, at least in the time that I've played so far there's, there's kind of an industrial it, it, it's very orchestral but there's kind of one that feels industrial when you're working inside your spaceship you know designing and planning your layout and managing your people there's one that's much more sort of grand whenever you're on the solar system map and you're doing stuff there um, there's one that is very Hmm. I said grand already. Maybe, maybe one that feels elegant for space and grand for a couple of cutscenes that happen. Um, it's it's a very good soundtrack that that strikes all the right vibes for what you're doing. Um, so very very surprised. And I mean, there is a story. Like the whole thing is there. There is a story. There are multiple chapters. Um, you you know, like I said, the beginning of the game, there's this calamity and you're on an adventure to, to colonize space and rebuild humanity. And there are specific chapters that um, you go through, objectives that you're trying to reach to progress from, um, you know, initially around our solar system and then beyond um, going out into the wider reaches of space. There are exploration mechanics. You have various small craft um, that support your main station. There are mining ships, uh, transport ships, and then exploration and science ships. Um, And so mining ships mine, you know, you send out probes or your science ships to explore. They find resources. The mining ships go mine them. The transports will bring them back and then can also ferry resources out to, um, objectives that you can find with your exploration and science ships. So, you know, you come across a derelict space station. It gives you information about the station, what's going on, what your people discover. Um, and then various, pass you know sort of choose your own adventure pass that you can follow um some of them are a little more risky some of them less so and if you make the right choices you find out even more information and can have an easier time with things that you might discover later in the solar system and you might need to transport resources out to do something like um you know, repair an automated manufacturing facility that you find. That's something that happens, and you can choose to, you know, strip it for any resources you can find. You can send some stuff out there and a team to rebuild the facility, and then that gives you a different kind of bonus, um, additional resources, maybe science. You know, it's like, oh, you learn how this machine works. Like, this is like an advanced machine. Where did it come from? Who built it? Um, aliens. No, not aliens. Um At least, I don't think so. I haven't found any aliens yet. So, if aliens exist in in this universe, I haven't discovered them yet. But anyways, so, you know, there are these multiple progression paths that you can find um, to learn a lot more about what happened. The history of the company that you worked for, sort of the major players, the um, other various large companies and world governments, um, and the stories that they left behind that propel you forward to the next chapter of the story and so on and so forth. Um, The management is... What's the right way to say it? It's straightforward and interesting and complex without being too complicated. Everything fits together nicely. You know, sometimes I have seen with city builders or these other types of, like, you know, city management or country management games where that they can really sort of overwork the plumbing you know they can make it needlessly complicated for no reason and it's very straightforward there's a very clean logical progression for things there are the few pieces that you really need to interact together you know the production of higher level electronics components for example is one of the most intricate things that exists that i have unlocked so far in the tech tree and even that's relatively easy to set up um, and straightforward to, to manage. You've got a lot of basic resources that they use very intelligently um, to convey a multitude of things. So, you know, they, they keep it simple without it being simplistic, I guess, is, is maybe a better way to say it. Um, you have multiple resources that you have to manage, but it, it's all stuff that you would expect for this type of game. You have to manage your power um your power input and output um th- you, you know through various means solar panels nuclear power etc um that you can get as you progress through the game um batteries for if you you know are overdrawing for something temporarily and you, know, you have to manage that you have to manage water um although water only has to be managed for certain manufacturing processes um it, the the game is very clear up front to to tell you a few things like oh yeah we've got these like you know, water recycling systems. Like we can, you know, we have to worry more about growing food than it is managing water for our people. Um, so water is mostly for nuclear power, growing food. Um, so that's, that's the water management. Power, water, you get your various building materials with steel being the most important one. Um, and that's the one that frustrates me the most. I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, and then colonists, uh, rather cryopods of colonists you you discover a bunch of these in the first chapter that you have to manage and store and until farther than i am in the game that's the only way to get new people so if your people die in accidents either on you know away missions or if they're industrial accidents and they die there's no baby making um at least not that i've seen so far um I think it's, like, they're saying, like, we have to conserve our resources. Like, we cannot make new children right now. And even if you could make new children, the timescale that it operates on is very small. Um, you know, I, I have played for six hours, and only not even a whole year has passed within the game from the time frame of, of my uh, city or my space station. Um, There's some shenanigans that happen with time due to faster than light travel, but, you know, the relative time that is experienced by my crew has not even been a whole year. So they're, you know, replenishing via children. is not something that the game encourages, at least at this point. So all of that is very good. The systems are really, really well designed. They make sense. You can manage them all fairly well. Um, you have to maintain citizen happiness. So you have to feed them, you have to provide them entertainment, um, and you have to provide them. You you can choose to provide them with propaganda, which is extremely useful. Uh, you know, as in real life, propaganda real really useful for for maintaining a population, keeping them uh, complacent and in the dark about the stark reality of your situation. So far, I haven't seen a downside of propaganda other than it's more difficult to. In- do certain initiatives you get like a government functioning um relatively early in the game and then you can do things like various initiatives that can help your you know help your resources you know different conservation things but they might make the people upset or you know you can focus on getting workers out of cryopods as opposed to civilians or you know whatever um and so you know these things hurt you or harm you and or help you or harm you in various ways and can make people upset or can make them more happy and propaganda is is one of them you can like do propaganda and that just slows down how quickly you can do policy initiatives which i don't understand why that's the case but there doesn't seem to be any other drawback to propaganda so it's like yes propaganda is double propaganda as much as possible um Ultimately, what you're trying to do, other than finish the story, is present, prevent your population from mutinying against you, dying, or the space station falling apart. And the game... This is the part that I really am frustrated with, and I'm thinking about restarting on the easier difficulty, because it never feels like you make any progress. Um, even though I'm making story progress... I am expanding into the various sections of the space station. You know, as you go, you can repair and unlock sections of the station to expand for, you know, more population housing and storage and growing food and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you can start to, like, specialize your sectors as you go, which is really useful um, for doing things like managing power and waste and all of that jazz. But it never feels like I can make any progress because as you go through the game, there are certain events that happen provide permanent negative population um sort of happiness or satisfaction levels which drives them towards mutiny if they're unhappy they eventually get to the point where they will um you know mutiny against you and you lose the game so there are things that happen that permanently make them unhappy and so far i haven't found anything that permanently makes them happy to balance that out and then there are things that permanently increase the amount of maintenance that you have to perform on your ship. Um, and some of that makes sense. Opening additional sections, having more industry. Um, it makes sense that you would need to do more maintenance. And that's fine. I don't mind that. But there are these other events that do permanently impose you know, negative effects to your ongoing maintenance of your ship, meaning that you have to always be using steel. Steel is what you use for maintenance of your ship. So you will always be using more steel, and it's very difficult to stockpile steel. And I wouldn't be as upset about this if there were other buildings, other building materials that you needed. But the most used building material for making new structures inside your ship is steel. You occasionally need some of the other things, advanced electronics, or what the game just calls mechanical parts or whatever, but by and large you need ten times more steel than anything else to be, build new structures inside your station, perform station upgrades, and you constantly are burning through steel for ship maintenance. And it, it makes... It, it feels like you never make any progress. And I kind of get the idea of like this being like a survival city builder game like there do need to be those things like gnawing at you but it's extremely like as a gameplay mechanic I don't I don't find that to be challenging I find it frustrating and disheartening like if maybe if much earlier in the game because there are some things like with food production pretty quickly you get different options in how you can make food you can for example you can um Harvest, like, really simple organisms um, that don't require any or very much water input. Um, insect farms, uh, mushrooms, which you use your waste uh, products to, to farm these mushrooms. Um, but they are extremely space inefficient. You know, they, they produce enough food for you, but you need a lot of these facilities. So they take up a lot of space. They take up a lot of power. They take up a lot of workers. But then early on, you get farms that you can use, um, that you can spend water on, which there's a couple of things you need to be able to, um, you know, harvest ice from space, um, you know, refine or, you know, make water out of it, purify it. But the resource chain to do that is much smaller than needing all of these farms, you know, insect farms to feed your population. There's no shortcut to more steel that I've found so far. And I'm through almost the entire research tree for like basic um, for like new research stuff. And then kind of all that's left are upgrades to your structures. But they're very tiny percent increment updates, you know, 1%, 2%, 5% upgrades to your efficiency. So unless there's something buried in like the final layer of the tech tree, it's like you need one to two dedicated mining ships for iron one to two dedicated transport ships to bring iron back to your ship. And every time you open a new section of the ship, you have to build a new iron smelter facility and keep it running at all times. And that doesn't feel like good progression. It just gets frustrating, which kind of sucks. But the the difficulty of the game, like, I'm just playing on normal difficulty. There's, like... Uh, easy mode or story mode which like reduces that how much ongoing maintenance you have to do on your ship and the negative effects of the ongoing you know sort of things that makes your population angry or sad those are reduced and i think the reduced level should be the normal and there should be an easy mode that turns it down even farther and the normal mode should be hard and then the hard difficulty like it it turns those things up, more ship maintenance, more accidents, your people are more upset. And then like the final difficulty mode is like impossible. it's called like impossible or something and it like cranks those up even more. So, it, I'm, you know, I've played 5 or 6 hours. I'm in chapter 3. I think I could get back to where I'm at a lot faster now that I know what I'm doing, and I'm seriously considering restarting on the easy difficulty because I do want to see the story through. I do want to like do all of the exploration and everything like all of the rest of the mechanics are compelling, but I feel like I'm spending so much of my time micromanaging like iron production so that my spaceship doesn't fall apart every three seconds. So if it had, if it had customization options for being able to customize the difficulty, that would be great. I would love that. And as far as I can tell, it doesn't have that. So, you know, I like the game. I just wish that it it wasn't so tedious, if that makes sense. So I'm giving Which this one a
1: very damning, huh?
0: Yeah. I'm giving this one a one thumbs up instead of two thumbs up. I think if you are the sort of person that really likes this kind of thing, like that particular aspect of it, or you're just like smarter than me or better at like micromanaging this kind of stuff than me, it might not be as bad. But I, I just I just want to, like, have my people be happy and explore the solar system and find all the cool
1: science bits. I mean, I just did a little bit of searching, and it looks like if you want to cheat to your heart's content, the safe file is in plain text so you can just edit. Well, I might do that. I like cheating. So, uh, do you want me to jump in, or do you want to do another one? No, you go ahead. Okay, so the second half of... Related games, kind of, sort of, in concept, but not really. Last time, I talked about a, essentially an 80s simulator of uh, being a kid in the 80s, uh, only in Japan. This time, it's my childhood. Sort of. Ultimate NES, Rem- uh, N- NES Remix. Sorry. Uh, it is a compilation of 16 old Nintendo Entertainment System games kind of remixed and mashed around. And it's played WarriorWare style-ish where uh, the games are split into various challenges and as you progress through each one, you unlock more and more and more. And then you get to the remix section, which I'll get to uh, a little bit later. So you start off with like, I think it's uh, Super Mario Brothers. Tetris and maybe one other. And uh, the first few challenges are essentially going through and teaching you the basic mechanics of the game. So, you know, uh, learn to drop block, right? Right? Uh, but then it slowly ramps up, ramps up to more actual challenges, although still in kind of the context of the game that they're from. So you know, some of the like the more difficult levels from Super Mario Brothers. Or yeah, you know, completing uh, so many lines and Tetris in a certain amount of time. And as you prog- uh, progress through these challenges, you get stars, which unlocks more and more games. Uh, the entire list is Balloon Fight, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Dr. Mario, Excitebike, Kid Icarus, Kirby's Adventure, Mario Brothers, Metroid, Punch Out, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers: the Lost Levels. Super Mario Brothers 2, Super Mario Brothers 3, Legend of Zelda, Legend of Zelda 2, the, uh, Adventures of Link. And where it gets more interesting is when you get to the remix section. So, take think of these as, like, the ball stages, alright? And they kind of throw some curveballs. Like, taking more advanced mechanics, or I should say, the later, uh, challenges go into those first. Uh, it's like the more advanced mechanics, like, for Super Mario Brothers 2, uh, learning how uh yeah like flying on Birdo's egg that they that she shoots uh, in the boss fights, but using that as a mechanic to be able to cross uh, large gaps that sort of thing. Then you use those uh, uh, techniques that you learned in the remixes where things get different. Like for example, playing Donkey Kong the first level, yeah, the iconic first level of Donkey Kong, right? Yeah. As Link. Oh. Link cannot jump, so you have to try to avoid the barrels and use the uh, uh, hammers very uh, strategically to be able to uh, progress up. Um, Some of the levels are mirrored, which is weird. Sometimes you'll get, like, a different character, uh, like, having Luigi show up with uh, Luigi's kind of trademark uh slippery shoes but higher jump speed or higher jumps you know um you'll get sometimes where the levels will uh like flicker and disappear uh the geometry's still there but you can't see what you're doing so it's like um on the first uh, uh airship in super mario brothers 3 get to the uh, end of the airship but you only get to see the actual level geometry Uh, For a couple seconds every like five to ten seconds, you know. And for somebody that grew up with these, with a majority of these games, I will say that I didn't play all these back in the day. It's breathes a little bit of a fresh life into them, but at the same time, uh, the challenges are like the only time that the game feels very difficult, you know. Yeah. Like I used to play Punch Out quite a bit, so I was able to get all the stars in the Punch Out. Uh, challenges pretty quickly and there's no way to play the entire game even though from the reviews and uh, comments I've seen all the game is present to the point that it's a as faithful recreation that the 3DS can handle Uh, including like slow down whenever you know you have too many things on screen like Super Mario Brothers 3 Uh, but you know there's no way to play the full game right because that would be too much value. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, uh, the only like time you get to play the full game is... There's uh, a couple additional modes. There's uh, the World Championship mode, which is using Super Mario Bros. 3... Um, I'm blanking on the second game, and uh, Dr. Mario, which was uh, featured in the World Championships back in, like, 1992. Uh, somewhere in that range. And uh, every so often you see like the golden cartridges floating around uh, for absurd prices, especially in the current uh, retro gaming market. Yeah. Uh, and there's also a Super Speed Brothers, where it's Super Mario Brothers 1 only played at double speed, which really messes with you. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, I would imagine. I'm not very good at, at Super Mario Brothers, like original, you know.
1: Yeah, there's a combination. Uh, all told, there's 169 challenges uh, between the two remixes and the 16 different games. I'm, oh, I'm a little hesitant to say that it would be worth it at full price, assuming that you could even buy it these days, because it was a digital-only game on the 3DS, and there was a physical release for the Wii U. But first of all, it would require you to have a Wii U, and who has that, right? I,
0: I do. I have a Wii U. Yeah, but you're weird. I am weird. You he, he got me.
1: But I do have one. hmm I mean, it's nice to be able to go back to these old games and uh, see, uh, see uh, them changed up a little bit, you know? It's kind of something I wish that Nintendo would do again. Although I know that there's no way that they would uh, do that because, you know, there's not the added value to it, right? Yeah. And, you know, and this was released you know, 10 years ago now. Uh, but it does make me sad that outside of the handful of games that Nintendo constantly re-releases and pushes out on, you know, Virtual Console or, uh, you know, Switch Online, that they kind of forget about a good chunk of these. Because Excite Bike, yeah, you know, it hasn't seen a lot of stuff for it. Uh, the original Punch-Out, well, they can't even do the original Punch-Out because, yeah, you know, Mike Tyson was in it and, you know, he had a slight uh, uh, rape conviction back in the day. <laughs> He did. He did have that. <laughs> uh, the original nice Kid dude. Icarus, which uh, is a classic. But once again, it's uh, that's uh, that seems like a, a IP that Nintendo just kind of has forgotten about. Of course, Kirby's still going strong, but you know, Kirby's
0: a, <clears throat> excuse me, a special little boy, Mm-hmm. Or blob,
1: whatever Kirby is. I love Kirby. Yeah, it looks like the last time Kid Icarus showed up was in uh, 2012 as a third-person shooter. So,
0: I, I know Kid Icarus <laughs> has been in a couple of Smash Brothers games.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, I wasn't counting that. Yeah. But, you know, some of these games just are kind of fallen by the wayside. And Nintendo is in this weird position of exploring their past but not preserving it. Where they'll constantly re-release, they'll constantly uh, not do sales and try to keep uh, their uh, their uh, past titles as high as possible in price. But the moment a new console comes out, they'll just yeah forget everything. Yep. And then drip feed uh, once again. Or even back when they were doing the virtual console, it was what like five ten bucks a pop.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it was five. Uh, yeah, I think it's five bucks a pop. Although I don't, I don't remember. I think there was
1: some that was uh, more expensive, depending on what the game was. Probably. Well, it was also doing the Wii points back then, which right. Uh, if you could obtain Ultimate NES Remix or the NES Remixes for Wii U, it is, I would say, very much worth checking out because yeah, it's that nostalgia trip. It's that. Yeah. You know, uh back in the day, we didn't have these massive libraries, and it was very tough to come across new games. So you would have like, yeah, you know, well, let's see if we get get to the into the level without uh, getting hit, or yeah, you know, play the level, uh, or yeah, you know, try to play the level backwards or it looking in a mirror or something to add yeah. the extra challenge. And that feels like what this is, you know. And while some games back in the day couldn't really support that, now that they are presented in this, it's more just—it uh, uh, feels like I said a throwback in a good way. Yeah, uh, l- like there's uh, super Luigi Brothers levels where the entire g- uh, game is mirrored. <laughs> right, <Good laughs> old like Luigi.
0: I remember the year of Luigi from
1: yeah. About- yeah, which uh, amounted to pretty much nothing for Luigi. Yeah. Uh, did, did did anything release for Luigi in the year of Luigi? Uh,
0: wasn't there a Luigi's Mansion game that came out in the year of Luigi? Uh, I, I don't remember. It's been... When was the year of Luigi?
1: It was 2014. Or 2013 going to 2014. Oh, it has an entire Wikipedia article, so... Right? Yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, Lu- uh, a re-release of Luigi Luigi's Mansion and Super Luigi U, along with Mario Luigi, uh, uh, Dream Team. Oh, and the last full game, Doctor Luigi, which I've never even heard of.
0: Was Mario and Luigi Dream Team the one where they get eaten by Bowser? I think so. Good for uh, Nintendo getting no, No, no getting it's, know, it's
1: uh, the one where uh, Luigi's asleep uh, and Mario's stuck in his dreams. So you a, a great year of luigi a re release and essentially two skids of a game right
0: yeah luigi you're the real mvp
1: <laughs> i mean let's put it this way uh, M- mario's constantly getting into trouble luigi is kind of right on uh, not being uh, the one to charge in and yeah. he gets stuck uh, with that uh, yeah you know, Trying to deal with ghosts with a vacuum cleaner.
0: Luigi is the uh, the smarter brother.
1: <laughs> Although to be fair, it's uh, uh, easy to be the smarter brother when your brother's a bowl of pasta. True, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you could obtain a Ultimate uh, NES Remix, I would say it's very worth checking out, especially if you're kind of curious about some of the old games but don't want to bother with the full thing, or even just yeah. You know, I always wondered how some of them worked because that's kind of also the other thing is that it teaches you the mechanics of the old games without having to resort to the manual, which it's kind of sad that <laughs> they have to spend so much time on that, huh? Nah. Yeah, but that's how it was back in the day. So um, I-, I heard that you uh, played for forty nights or something.
0: Yeah. Um, so I played Fortnite. My, uh, you know, as as the listeners Ew. know, I have a child who is nine years old, and the the preceding events leading up to this story are what l- let him convince me to play. He's, he's, we've been having some issues with, with some of his friends at school that he plays games with, and so they are currently... All blocked, and he doesn't is not allowed to play games with Uh-oh. anymore. While we work on sorting uh, this situation out, dare I even ask? It's a combination of of online bullying and then some issues that that these kids have. You know, I've I've talked about stories here and there about kids who uh, who parrot what their parents say. And we live in the South, um, boy. So you know. I'm not worried about them influencing him in that way. Like we have lots of conversations very open in this house, very supportive of, you know, LGBTQ people and basic human rights, but still it's like, you know, let's just not like, and also, you know, bullying online bullying. So we're uh, talking to the school and, you know, trying to figure out something that we can do. And we, you know, Removed and blocked them from his friends list, but he played Fortnite with them, and so he's mm-hmm. been lonely and in need of, of friends to play games with. So he's been, you know, slowly convincing me to be willing to play Fortnite with him. So I did. I played Fortnite with him yesterday. Um, was it yesterday? Was it Sunday? No, it was yesterday. Um, Man, I don't, I never really understood Fortnite. Like the basic gameplay principle, at least in the olden days, of, you know, land on a map, pick up some equipment, kill other people. That's fine. I get that. But with Fortnite's building mechanics, like I was never fast enough to really do it. I never understood, like, what the point was. Like, it seemed more to me like a waste of time. Like, if you're going to build something, you know, build slow, build a little base. And, you know, I think everyone listening to this podcast, you know, and us as we record it, know that that's not how Fortnite turned out. Like, there are these crazy people, like, whipping around, building all of these structures, like, you know, towers and whatever, and, like, flying over the map, you know, instantly... And it's, like, I just, my brain doesn't work like that. But not only did I not ever understand that, like, Fortnite, man, that's a whole other world at this point. Like, opening it, there are flashing lights and sounds and so many different properties that are involved in Fortnite now. It's, like, Star Wars stuff and, like, in my inventory, like, Star Wars stuff and musicians that I kind of recognize but I don't really know because you know I'm not one of the kids these days I'm old so you know these mu- musicians are plastered on on the you know on the homepage and Star Wars stuff and dances and battle passes and microtransactions and it's like never ending and it's very loud and scary and confusing and I just want to go back inside and get my hose out and force these kids off my lawn and that's before you even start playing. <laughs> so, y- y- you know, the playing Fortnite, jumping in, kind of starts the same. You're in the the battle bus. You fly over the map. The map looks nothing like how I remember it. It is also full of like flashing strobe lights and new locales and weapons. And well, they gotta
1: prep them for Vegas, you know.
0: You in like you jump out of the plane and you pull your parachute, and for some reason, mine's a tie fighter. So it's like really loud screaming TIE Fighter sounds at me while I'm drifting slowly down to the ground and I can't make it stop. And then I'm like I'm I'm talking to my kid, I'm like, I don't know where I am or what's going on. I'm just going to follow you. And he's like, okay, great, do this, do this, do this, get this thing, grab this. And then you're gonna use that to go over here. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm an old man, son. You're gonna have to slow down. So then he explains to me, like there's some kind of like rocket Booster thing, and you can use it to jump and fly. And he's like bounding away, and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna pick up this. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at Fortnite. I'm like, listen. After we like we played a couple of rounds and we died very quickly. I'm like, okay, here's what you do, son. Stop trying to save me. Use me as a meat shield. I'll follow you. Use me as a meat shield, and then revive me after you kill the people who attacked us. And we did that for a while. It's, it's like a fever dream. Playing Fortnite feels like a bad fever dream.
1: Yeah, I think I'll stick with Squid Game.
0: But it gets, it gets worse. At least it feels worse to me as an old man. So after a few rounds of like regular, air quotes, regular Fortnite, I'm like, what else is in this game, buddy? Like, I cannot keep up with you. Like, I can't keep playing this. Like, what other things are in Fortnite? He's like, well, we could do mini games. I'm like, okay, what are minigames? And he's like, well, I'll, I'll launch launch one. So he launches a minigame called Box PvP, which is just Team Deathmatch. Just regular old school, like, Team Deathmatch. And that I was good at, because it's on a level, like, it's in a, a map. Like, it's, it's a small map, but it's... Um, mm-hmm. It uses, like, there are some things that change on it. It's got, like, these little, like, light bridge-type things that every so often shift to form walls or platforms you can jump around on. So there's still some mobility aspect to it. But, like, I'm really good at that because it's just shooting. Like, everybody starts with the same weapons, and you're in an arena, and I knew where stuff was, and, like, I, I won a few. And he's like, why are you so good at this, Dad, but so bad at playing the regular battle royale mode and so i explained to to him what i'm saying now like listen buddy this is something that i'm i'm familiar with and good at i'm good at video games like the ones that i grew up the the, the ones that i played and have built muscle memory around and sort of tactics and things like this is just like any other shooter that i played dozens of when i was you know a teenager and in my early 20s like that muscle memory's kicking in like this makes sense. I have a shotgun, a rifle, you know, you know a shotgun, a, a machine gun and a, a rifle and a map that I can, you know, engage with in a way that makes sense. So we, we did that for a while and I won a whole bunch of those. And then he was like, this is boring. You're winning too much. <laughs> so then we we went into like a custom mode and like built our own map and then like played with each other. And that was actually a lot of fun. Um We, uh, divided a a level halfway down the middle, and we set a timer for half an hour, and we could build our side however we wanted, and then use, like, an auto-weapon distribution thing, and then we had to land, or, like, spawn on the other person's side, and then fight each other. And that was good fun, but, I mean, that's just me hanging out with my kid playing a video game, like, that has, like, nothing specific to do with Fortnite. Um, the only part of Fortnite that I ever liked was what they later changed it to be Save the World. Fortnite Save the World, which was the um, cooperative PvE shooter um, that had, like, base building and tower defense elements to it. And I found it buried within like the menu of, like, quote-unquote mini-games that you could play. So, I did tell my kid, I was like, listen, I am not going to play this with you very often. It's... Stressful to me to play this game. But we can try this mode, the one that I liked, see how you like it, and if he likes it, I would play that with him a lot, because I actually liked that mode. But yeah, Fortnite is just a hot mess. I, I understand that it's really popular, and the kids these days are not like us. And that's fine. I just, like... Fortnite has went from something that I, like, kind of get... Like, I don't get it, because it's not the type of game that I want to play, but I kind of understand it to, like, nope, this is just confusing and scary to me. And I don't like it, and I don't want it near me. So, yeah, Fortnite. That's how I feel about it.
1: Uh, no, tell me how you really feel.
0: <laughs> the other game I played is, uh, this one will be pretty quick, Jumbo Airport Story um, by Kyrosoft. I've played several kairosoft games and talk about them on the show before um i got three months of google pay p- pass google play pass um f- for free
1: air quotes for free yeah, they're uh, a weekly thing yeah yeah um, i had that pop up one time and i it felt like a trap i'm
0: sure it's a trap i'm sure i'll forget about it and i'll wind up paying for one month of it before i cancel but uh, you know for, for three months four months I'll play some mobile games. I mean, I'm always on the lookout for finding some actual good mobile games. And a whole bunch of the Kairosoft games are on there. And so this is a relatively new one of theirs where that you're building and managing an airport. Um, it's got very cute, cartoony graphics. It's not difficult, per se. Um, what you're trying to do is, I mean, you you start with a very small kind of regional airport. You're trying to build it up, and make, ultimately, an international airport um, that you have your own fleet of planes that you fly rather than just contracting with the other airliners. Um, And rather than strictly, you know, making money and um, getting, like, a huge passenger count to come through, what you're trying to do is maximize the happiness of the customers that come through the airport by building, like, lots of shops and... Um, having good aesthetic design and a good layout to your airport um, where that people can get around efficiently, and flights constantly come and go, and as you build up a passenger slash customer satisfaction rating, your airport rating rises, which gives you uh access to you know more staff and better contracts and eventually your own planes that you can uh build. And I'm pretty early on in the game. I've played it for a few hours this weekend while we were, um, you know, while I was doing the conference thing and then, you know, tootling around Nashville. Um, And uh, I played it, you know, laying in bed for as I, like, wound down last night. That's probably what I'll play tonight while I wind down after we record is Jumbo Airport Story. It's cute. It's got a really cutesy art style, a cute little soundtrack that unfortunately does get repetitive, but you can just turn that off um and the kairosoft games to my knowledge they only have one game that's free to play like all of their games like they could truthfully like monetize the hell out of like they could be really scummy about it but they don't um you know you pay three four five bucks for it and then you've got the game and you play it um there are places where i could see them monetizing them but they never have And even the one free-to-play game that they do have, which is Air Force Unite or something like that, which is like a turn-based strategy game where you have a fleet of fighters and fight, like, mystical creatures using JRPG mechanics. (laughs) Um, Even that wasn't, like, monetized to hell and back. They're just a, a little mobile developer that makes pretty decent cutesy games. So, Jumbo Airport Story. That actually you know,
1: sells them and sells the entire thing.
0: Yeah. Jumbo Airport Story is, is a good, cute game. Um, you know, depending on whether or not I, air quotes, beat it. Because I, I think you can win. It, like, it seems like it's got like a new game plus mode and like some challenges. But I, I think it's a game you can actually win. So, you know, if I manage to not beat it by the time my game uh, play pass runs out, I might actually buy it i own four or five kairosoft games so they're they're a good good cute little mobile developer two thumbs up so yeah that's all the games that i played this this past week
1: Oh, speaking of cute things
0: yeah i'm pulling up the topics list um our first news story of the night japan is getting gaming cup noodle designed for gamers contains caffeine and more
1: can I, I kind of put this on the uh, th- thing as a joke, but you weren't r- really talking about this.
0: I really like it. They're cute. I want them. I want to import them and try them.
1: I think I think it's also the fact that it's more of a generic gaming thing instead of tying into a very particular thing. Because in the U.S., it's more like uh, Diablo uh, 4, uh, Cubs, uh at KFC for Diablo Loot, or uh, the yeah, Hot Pockets with the Call of Duty codes, or Modern Warfare, or whatever the hell they're running this year. Yeah. Although, that's not to say Japan doesn't have those as well, but it's more... It, partially, I think it's just the fact that they have RGB on the uh, on the thing. Yeah, they have the rainbow RGB... Uh, thing going on, but also the fact that, you know, it doesn't feel gross, you know? Yeah. It feels like they're trying to tie in, you know, I, I don't want to say energy but, uh, boosting, because, you know, it's first of all, it's cut noodle, you know. But also, at least in the U.S., energy boosting kind of uh, draws this correlation with energy drinks and, like, four-hour energy, you know, you know, zap you with yeah, you know, like a day's worth of caffeine in ten seconds, and it has this very kind of off connotation. And don't get me wrong, they are th- they do have caffeine in this as well, which uh, it feels a little weird to have it in Cup Noodle and uh, Cup Curry, but it's not just that, right?
0: Yeah. So the flavors are let's see:
1: energy garlic
0: and black pepper soba which is the one that's got caffeine in it. Well, oh, they, they both have caffeine in it. They both uh, have caffeine? Okay. Uh, actually, the full name, Nissen Gaming Cup Noodle Energy Garlic and Black Pepper Soba, and Nissen Gaming Curry Meshi Energy
1: Ginger Kima Curry. Yeah, it looks like they both have uh, caffeine of some, uh, some sort, because the other one uh, says it has caffeine... Argymanine, which is a protein that helps you uh, metabolize proteins. Or build body proteins, I should say. It's amino acid. Yeah. And uh, essentially the, uh, a boost of vitamin, uh, vitamin B. They
0: release in Japan on Monday, September the 18th. So in about two weeks. And once they release, I'm, I'm seriously going to see if I can find them and import them. Like, I mean, I'm not going to pay, like, 100 bucks for two-cup noodle, but if, you know, if I could get, like, a pack, like, you know, even if it's just a two-pack, one of each, I'd pay 20 or 25 bucks for that as, like, just a little weird experience, you know? I have no idea what it costs to import snacks from other countries. I've never done it before. But, you know, whatever is, like, kind of reasonable for that kind of thing, you know, like, I'd be willing to pay that for just, like, a cute little experience with cup noodle.
1: Uh well... I was uh, bringing up uh, one of my import stores. I don't think they'll have that, but uh, it's actually surprisingly cheap. Uh, but you usually have to buy, you know, a few things.
0: I mean, you know, I'd spend 50 or 100 bucks to get, like, a whole box of stuff, you know? Like, I'd try a bunch of stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, like, it's usually the shipping is where they get you. Yeah, international shipping is mm-hmm.
0: really expensive, which mm-hmm.
1: makes sense, but and, you know, like, this one that popped up, it looks like it's pretty close to what I would expect to pay at, like, a Japanese market. Okay, well, here's, uh, not th- this particular cup noodle, but, uh, a, a Japanese flavor of cup noodle, uh, is $3 here. Yeah. But the question is the shipping, right? <laughs> uh, let's put it this way. They put their free shipping at $199. <laughs> <laughs> That should tell you something, right?
0: Yeah, I don't know if I want to spend two hundred bucks.
1: Uh, here's a, another one that's more like just generic. Let's let's go to the Kit Kats. Um, thirteen. I think this is U.S. in U.S. dollars. Uh, thirteen dollars a bag, which they do offer free shipping. So that's probably a lot cheaper than what you'd get it otherwise. Yeah. I'm sure if you hunted around, you'd be able to find it in, at, for a, an okay price, you know? Uh, like here. Uh, no, that's not cut noodle, but. Uh, like uh, this uh, other one that I've looked at before. They have free shipping. Uh, they have uh, packs of five uh, uh, ramen for $23. Uh, yeah. Which is five servings, which is. A lot more than what I'd pay at yeah, the local Asian market, but all right. But it's also getting shipped halfway across the r- world. I would actually keep an eye on Amazon. <laughs>
0: because, yeah, right.
1: I will. I'm going to. Because you know, there's somebody that's going to buy like a pallet of them.
0: Yep. And like you know, like I said, I'd pay a little extra for it. Like you know, and, and I'm sure I
1: try it. I, I'm sure that this is also a case of. Yeah, we only see some of the you know highlights mixed with the yeah the grass is always greener on the other side. Uh, but it does seem like yeah you know, international snacks are a lot better than what we get here.
0: The uh, I've talked about this this podcast before. I listened to it a couple of times. It's called Let's Talk About Snacks,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, they uh, over the last year have gotten a bit bigger and, you know, more popular and have started doing snack exchanges with their viewers who live in other countries. Mm-hmm. And uh, they talk about different snacks and how the qualities compare and they'll get like little, you know, sort of listener or like messages from the people that they do snack exchanges with and compare notes. And yeah, it is a little bit of a, the grass is always greener kind of thing because for the most part, they say that American snacks and candies are like really unique and interesting. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, that's just like the the shit that we've got. But that's how they feel about their own snacks for the most part. It's like, well, this is a shit we've got in our country that we're going to send you.
1: I mean, uh, the thing is that uh, also... yeah. Uh, well, uh, one of the YouTube channels I watch is uh, Food Wars, where they'll do U.S. Uh, fast food versus... They've done India, China, Japanese, uh, UK, and... Overall, it's been, they're doing right now what they're calling the foreign exchange, where the U.S. guy is trying the British uh, fast food and vice versa. Yeah. And part of it is just taste, you know, that, you know, uh, the, uh, it, it blew his mind that the Domino, I think, yeah, I would think Domino's was the last one they did. Uh, Domino's had several pizzas that had corn on it.
0: Oh, that's interesting. But yeah, I guess that's just like a regional, mm-hmm. just a different, you know, regional food variation. It does seem really weird and interesting, though. I've
1: done corn on pizza before as a uh, for taco pizza. I've never had corn on pizza. Uh, it, it wasn't heavy on corn. It was just enough to, like, feel like the uh, tortilla, you know? Or, you know, get the, like, the corn taste. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I try it. I'm not opposed. I've just never... Never had it, never thought about it, never well, seen also, it Oh, it was also, like I
1: said, in the middle of uh, taco pizza. So, yeah, you know, it had a base of salsa, then ground beef, uh, cheddar cheese and nacho cheese, uh, a little bit of corn, jalapeno peppers, uh, black olives. It's one uh, Anita uh, turned to me and said, you're making this again sometime. <laughs> so there was that.
0: Well, that's good. but. Yeah. Just a little regional differences in taste and all that jazz, mm-hmm. I suppose. But yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and import these. I mean, I'm not gonna pay something outrageous. You know? Like, I don't have I've got more money than I used to, but I don't have that kind of money. I can't spend $200 on like, six-cup noodle, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't do that, but I, I mean, uh, I, this is
1: also the same company that did a uh, several uh, Final Fantasy cup noodles. Uh, including sponsoring, like, full-on DLC for uh, Final Fantasy Fifteen. Oh, yeah, I remember that.
0: But yeah, you know, I'd, I'd probably be willing to pay 50 or 60 bucks, You know? Or maybe, you know, pay up to 100 bucks and do, like, a big sort of box import and get a bunch of different mm-hmm.
1: stuff. Well, make sure to get some Kit Kats.
0: You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Kit Kats. I know Japan has got lots of weird and interesting Kit Kat flavors. I don't hate Kit
1: Kats, but uh, the thing is that it's... Uh, it's not Kit Kats. It's different flavors of them. Yeah. But yeah there's I'm, I'm, this whole odd-to-us culture about them, you know? Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm gonna
0: try and import them, import it. And if I do, you know, I'll, uh... See about shipping you some, depending on how oh. many... How many, slash how much I'm able to get.
1: Well, we, we could do that, a... Okay. We could
0: do a live... <laughs> we could do a tasting, an on-air
1: tasting of the, <laughs> the soba cup noodle. As long as there's no coconut in the curry. Uh, then I would have to get Anita uh, on and have you, her be uh, very grumpy with me.
0: I see. I see. But yeah. Um, all right. We talked about that for way longer than I thought that we would. Yeah. I mean, really, right? Although we mostly just wound up talking about food. But let's let's move on to our she next used- guest.
1: Talking about food? Hell
0: yeah. So, yeah, our next news topic of the night, uh, Embracer shuts down Saints Row developer Volition.
1: Yeah, Embracer Group is basically cutting losses after a uh, failed business dealing, and Volition... I'm not sure if they're the first in the shopping mall, but they're they're, they're the most notable. Yeah, And it's sad because, yeah, Volition has had a very long run of games. It's just they've stumbled in their last several big releases. I would say I would actually include Get Out of Hell in that. Uh, Get Out of Hell it was kind of polarizing because you didn't play as the boss, and it was kind of short for what it was. Um, they had Agents of Mayhem, which was wholly mismarketed as a hero shooter when it wasn't. Yeah, and then they had the total abomination of what they rebooted Saints Row into, and basically went on uh, social media yelling at people uh, when they complained. Yeah, I mean it, it's not a good look whenever uh, your big your last big release has just north of a thousand reviews on Steam. I mean that's bad because that's yeah you, know, you have to buy the game in order to leave a review. And I know, you know, people that leave reviews are, you know, in the minority, obviously, but that's not a lot of sales. Yeah.
0: I think a game has to be particularly good or bad, or with, like, review bombing, like, do something, like, heinous to get, like, a huge amount of reviews. But still, like, yeah, for a game and series as big as Saints Row, That's not a lot.
1: Yeah, let's put it this way. The all-time peak for Saints Row was just north of 4,000 players. Let's just, for the fun of it...
0: When you say Saints Row, uh, you mean Saints Row remake, reboot, whatever. That's not a remake. Uh, The all-time
1: peak for Saints Row III is 34,254. And Saints Row IV is 42,000. That's rather telling, huh? Yeah. Although you know, Sadstro also has the kind of dishonor on Steam of ha- being a Epic exclusive for a while, so it definitely ate into sales whenever, you know bad reviews came out about it. Yeah, at least for the Steam numbers. Yeah. I mean Saint- Saints Row is a
0: big part of uh, Volition's game development history, but they have made other games over the decades. I mean, they were a studio that was around for 30 years. Um I the games that I first played of theirs um was actually Red Faction, but you know, those aren't the the only games that they made. I mean, going all the way back to the uh 90s, you know, they did Descent and Descent 2, um Descent Free Space and then Free Space 2, Summoner, Summoner 2, the Red Faction series. Um they did a weird Punisher spin-off game after that awkward like early 2000s movie. Um all all the Saints Row stuff. Um they had a whole bunch of canceled games, you know, canceled in development. But, I mean, they've got a, a long history of game development with titles that I think people, a lot of people, recognize from over the the decades. It's just, I mean, you know, it...
1: I mean, they did Free Space as well. I'm yeah. I'm not sure you mentioned it. I did. Okay, sorry. Oh, it's okay. Uh, I was finding a website uh, yelling at me for having a pop-up blocker on. Right.
0: How dare you? protect your PC from garbage pop ups and potential viruses yeah. and even more like data harvesting. Mm-hmm. How dare you? But um you know, on the one hand, like it is a true statement in terms of like, you know, it happens. Sometimes companies get shut down no matter how storied their history is or how memorable of things that they did in a particular market or field. Like it does happen. But it still sucks. Like it, it sucks that you know, they got bought, and Embracer, being this, like, huge, you know, conglomerate corporation, is, mm-hmm. you know, just shutting them down because they fucked up. Like, it sucks. Yeah, I, I don't like it.
1: And supposedly, uh, uh, they were working on a remaster slash patch of Saints, uh, uh, Saints Row 2 to make it, you know, actually playable on modern PCs. Yeah. And that's been like an ongoing project for years. And that's not going to see light of day now. I mean, there are some fan stuff out there to uh, make it work, but you know, obviously it's not going to be at the level of, uh, what they would have been able to put out. Yeah. Well, it's
0: less likely. I mean, there can be Mm -hmm. some really amazing fan (laughs) projects out
1: there. Yeah. But they have the intimate knowledge. Of how the game actually works. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Volition survived THQ, so there is that also as well. So it's kind of also a little bit of that legacy going on or going away as well. Yeah. I mean, it all it all just sucks. It sucks that, you know, it came down to this, you know, and that their final legacy is going to be remembered for, a you know, essentially rebranding Saints Row into a bunch of college students trying to repay their student loans. And no, I'm not joking. That's the story of the reboot.
0: And that, uh, honestly, that could be okay. Like, it could have been.
1: It would have been a lot more acceptable if they didn't try to bring it to Saints Row. If they tried to make it, you know, a similar type of game, but, uh yeah. even in the Saints Row universe, you know,
0: well, I mean, you said I, I've never played Saints Row Four, but you said that in Saints Row Four, like it ends with them getting a, ti- a time machine, right? Yeah. So what they could have done is that, like, they use the time machine and they go back in time, and it's like, oh, we're, you know, here in college. Like this is how we got our start mm-hmm. with the Saints. You know, we we're we're trying to repay our student debt, and it became this. Yeah, but it's they like, well, let's it, use all of our knowledge to do something with it.
1: You know. Yeah, but they like, deliberately. Uh, cut off, you know, that story yeah, that storyline, and was doing essentially a hard reset of the universe. Uh, let's put it this way. Saint 4 is narrated by Agatha Christie. Because they pulled her into the future to uh, narrate it. I see.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can do so much with time travel. And, like, if you, if you are the type of series or the type of thing that, like, doesn't give a shit and is not trying to do, like, You know, explain your time travel, and it's like this is just a plot device for us to do shenanigans. Like Saints Row, I feel like could have been a series that could have handled that in a a fun and interesting way. It wasn't
1: even just a time machine; they had a spaceship time machine, so they could have, yeah, done alien worlds as well. And yeah, it's so frustrating to see them essentially do a hard uh, quit on uh, that storyline do Agents of Mayhem, which I understand that they wanted to do something different. And uh get away from the Sanctuary Formula because they had essentially done the same map twice. And they I honestly kind of did it a third time with uh, Agents of Mayhem, sort of. Uh, from what I understand. But they mismarketed that game so much. They made it, Even now, looking at the Steam page, if I didn't know better, I would say that's just a, a multiplayer hero shooter in the can of you know, Overwatch. But it's not. It's more like Crackdown. But they don't market it like that, so so many people looked at that page and saw, oh, this looks like sh- uh, you know, even shittier Overwatch. And then play it.
0: Yeah. You could have done a lot with it, and they didn't, and that sucks. Mm-hmm. I don't want to necessarily relitigate you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, armchair development kind of thing. Yeah, I, you know, I don't necessarily want to go down that entire road, like, yeah, because, off of just this news article, like...
1: Yeah, especially since, you know, they particularly said that they wanted to get away from this ancient formula, uh, and they felt like it was uh, getting too politically incorrect, but, you know, at that point, just leave it be, you know? Come back to it later. Yeah. I do understand. Uh, 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 go ahead.
0: As, as a, a you know, creator, like, certainly on a vastly different scale, but with the, like, the stories that I, I write and tell for, you know, my tabletop, you know, cruise, like, I do understand, like, something can get really big and can get away from you, and it's like, oh, we've got a time machine and a spaceship. Well, mm-hmm. shit, what do we do with this now? Like, I do understand, like a story getting away from you but like what you do in those situations is is like you just you start something new and like you save it to come back later you take time to develop something with that story because like in the back of my mind it's like oh they got a time travel spaceship they could like go and drop people off and you could do a gangster themed like a 1920s gangster themed saint saint's row and uh you know, Saints Row in space, and they do Saints Row stuff with aliens, and like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you could, you could come up with stories for that. But it's like, you just take a break from it, and you start a new series, or, yeah. you know, go do a, you know, revisit they, one of your other game series.
1: Yeah, which they attempted with Agents of Mayhem to do something different. But but yeah. they still brought Johnny Gad in, so they also tied it to Saints Row in a way. Yeah. But yeah, they didn't do Red Faction for, yeah, like ten, five or ten years, depending on how, how you view remasters. Uh, they left a lot of stuff on the table. It makes me wonder where those IPs are going to go. I fully expect Sanctuary to pop up again at some point. Yeah. Uh, because uh, minus the hiccup uh, there, it was a pretty popular series for a while. Um, you know, they have Red Faction, which they've left on the table. They have Free Space. They, you know, they have the old Descent License. Uh, they have, uh, front, which, okay, those, I had some issues of their own, but, you know, it's something that can be built off of. They have the, uh, the history there, and, uh, some interesting places that developers can build off of fully expect to see these IPs licensed out and uh, sent out.
0: Yeah. Looks like Volition was like they did get ownership back of the Red Faction mm-hmm. uh, IP. So, you know, I, I suppose Embracer now owns that?
1: Oh boy, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. But like, I'm just like kind of going through the rabbit hole. Like, I'm looking to see like, oh, were there any Red Faction games that were announced at one point, but they were cancelled or... We're kind of left in limbo around like Ooh. COVID times when those began. Yeah, because that's also
1: the other thing is that uh, Saints Row released right around uh, COVID, the reboot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2022. So, yo, know, it, uh, you know, a couple of years post COVID. So, all right. It definitely was affected by it and uh, development was likely drawn out because of it. Yeah. It makes me wonder just how much uh, uh, if COVID didn't hit if uh, so many eggs would have been in one basket with it, right? Yeah. Because while it did yeah, while uh, remote uh, work does save a lot on property it also does slow down some development and some uh, work. And also it makes it harder to collaborate and that's what the AAA games are. They're a giant collaboration. Sometimes yeah, between so.
0: dozens or hundreds of people yeah. working on a project. So, well, I mean, you know, we'll see what happens with these various mm-hmm. IPs. I wish everybody at the company the best. Um, mm-hmm. You know, good luck with their job searches or, you know, potential mm-hmm. career changes, depending on what they want to get into or are tired of. But yeah, it sucks.
1: maybe, maybe we'll, we'll see more red faction now because all right. If they just got it, uh, got it back recently. Yeah, I mean the last one was Armageddon, or the last 2011. Proper, yeah, last proper one, I should say. Uh, not counting the remastered edition in 2018. Yeah. So. Okay.
0: Well, uh, you picked this next topic. I don't know a lot about Dota
1: 2, so. I don't know a lot about Dota 2 either. It's more interesting to me to see a company coming down on smurfing accounts. So, Valve is coming for Dota 2 smurf accounts and the main accounts behind them. So, smurfing, for those who don't know, is the concept of a high-level player building a new account or a new save file, essentially, and going into lower-ranked matches. So, you know, if... uh, uh, let's take my Squid Game for example. If I was, you know, like super hardcore, amazing player, uh, you know, I'm in the X rank, I'm, yeah, uh, you know, doing well, but I want to beat up some uh, uh, lower or squids. You know, I buy a new copy of the game and build a new set, sa- a new file to take me all the way back to C rank and just demolish, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's really bad for free-to-play games because you know, it's easy to just build a new account. You're not you know, spending more cash on it, most likely. You're just going into uh, Smash Face. So seeing Valve coming after the Swarf accounts is an interesting tactic. Basically, they're trying to clean up some of the matchmaking by going after people that are you know, screwing it up. And you know, as much as... Neither of us really care about Dota 2. There is a very strong skill element there. Where uh, uh, lesser skilled players are going to have a very bad time coming up against people that are ranked extremely highly. Just because of the sheer mechanics of the game. Uh, The map awareness. Knowing how to build uh, their characters. Knowing certain tricks for different characters. The different matchups. I mean, there's just a ton. Of uh, uh stuff to consider, and seeing valve banning ninety thousand accounts and wipe out their associated main accounts as well is as far as I know unheard of in pretty much all of gaming
0: yeah honestly i 'm here for it i like i have i've always for as long as i've played video games hated this type of griefing behavior. Mm-hmm. you know, I, Yeah. I, I had a friend, acquaintance, whatever, in high school. Somebody I played video games with in high school. And we would play Halo a lot. Halo, Halo 2 and Halo 3. And Halo 3 did some stuff to try to fix this. But in Halo 2, you basically just had an overall rank for playing online. And the more games you played and the better you did, your rank... Would go you, know, up or down, and, th- and that would be your skill rank, and you would match make with people around that skill rank. And he would, every so often, purposefully derank rank his account by essentially, you know, just going AFK in matches or committing suicide a whole bunch in matches. And that process sucked, because you were at best not helping your team. Or at worst, like griefing your own team by, you know, going negatives in the in the KDR or mm-hmm. purposely killing your teammates so that you would wind up getting booted, which would have like a huge penalty to your skill rating. And then he would, you know, go seal clubbing, at at with the lower ranked players who were yeah, either were or just weren't fun. as good. So yeah, it's the same thing. And I used to always, like, I would get mad at him about that. He'd be like, oh, it's just a video game. Who gives a shit? I'm like, yeah, but you're ruining it for other people. You're ruining it for me right now. I can't play with you because I'm not having a good time because you're just killing yourself and blowing up our teammates. I've always hated that behavior. I just I hate griefing behaviors. And there are plenty of people who love it.
1: Yeah, I I remember. That's what they are. They're psychotic. Yeah, I remember in Team Fortress 2, they're... Well, was the concept of the sandwich heavy, where uh, some people thought it was hilarious to run around as the heavy, who is big, slow, a uh, heavy guy with a mach- with a uh, mini and one of his uh, optional secondary uh, weapons was a sandwich that could heal him. Well, you could also throw up for teammates, but uh, sandwich heavies would throw up at the enemy team who could also pick it up. Uh, and it worked as like a medium health pack. So they would throw it at an enemy that's in the middle of a firefight and possibly cost uh, their team a member of death because suddenly the person that they're fighting gets healed. Yeah, I mean, th- there's grief and behavior in every single game uh, to some degree. Uh, but seeing, yep, yeah, smurfing being uh, uh, singled out on this is uh quite uh surprising, and the fact that well it, here's also the thing is that valve is one of the few companies out there that would have enough back end uh information to know definitively uh that uh it's a single person you know, yeah, because you can make the argument for you know uh league of legends and such and uh in console shooters. Or it could be, you know, somebody on a different uh, uh, account or, you know, like a brother or something, you know. Uh, but Valve could see the accounts log in and out very easily and see the credit card information, see everything a lot more intimately.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I play, you know, I've talked about this a, a few weeks now. Like, I mean, I play War Thunder a lot now because of my kid. Mm-hmm. But War Thunder, like uh, in every recent patch that's been coming out, they've been like, "Here are the steps we're taking to try to reduce griefing behaviors and team killing and mm-hmm. botting on accounts and you know, et cetera, et cetera." And they're developing all these tools and and things to to try to stop people from doing this kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. like you know, like like you like we just said, griefing exists in every game. You know, in in War Thunder, it's there is a lot of simple team killing, but also doing things like. You know, teaming up with a buddy to bring, you know, a very low ranked vehicle into a very high ranked game and, you know, things like that. Like you can report people for that now and there are consequences, like you know, it's it's kind of the whole like um offense versus defense war, you know, the the gun versus the armor thing. Yeah it's like you're always going to be chasing it. People will always find new ways to grieve. But if you want your gaming your your game's community to remain healthy and open and interesting to new, I mean, both to new players and to keep returning players around. Like, you know, if you're, like me, a middle-aged guy who goes to work every day and comes home and only plays video games, you know, a couple hours a day at most, and you want to just relax and play a game, like, if you hop into a match and, you know, get team killed or, you know you're the seal that gets clubbed because somebody's doing this type of behavior. Like it sucks. And if that happens enough times, you're not likely to keep playing that game and they want you to stick around to keep the player base up and to feed them money. Mm -hmm. So if you want a game, um, any multiplayer game community to be healthy and, um, you know, successful, you have to engage in a behavior as a company, as a developer, that tries to fight back and tamp down this behavior as much as possible. And so, like, seeing Valve doing this, like, good. Good job. Way to go, Valve. I approve of this one. You guys don't always get it right, but this one, uh, I, I think this is right. Good call. Also, I like the term smurfing. I genuinely don't think I've ever heard it before.
1: Uh, it's a pretty old term. It comes from uh, the old Warcraft games. I you didn't play sh- the old Warcraft sh- games all sh- that much.: You seriously never heard the term smurfing I not that I can recall no okay, you're going to love the history of this one then uh it's either Warcraft Two or Warcraft 3. There were people that were engaging in this behavior of purposely deranking themselves and were uh, it was a two uh they were on the 2v2 uh map mode yeah and they were named Pop- Papa Smurf and Smurfette. And no, I'm not shitting <laughs> you. That's cute. They purposely de themselves to be able to go seal clubbing. And so they it, the they became so notorious that it was known as smurfing when you came up against them. And the term stuck. Obviously, you haven't heard it, so. Nope. I, I mean, it's known well enough in online communities. I gen- uh,
0: Like, I'm genuinely, I've just missed it, I guess. I didn't play the old Warcraft games. Uh, I mean, I have played them, but I definitely didn't play them when they were new. I never yeah, played but them you online. Yeah,
1: but you may not have played a lot of games that had ranked modes. Yeah. See, I've played some games that had ranked modes that the term pops up more often there. Because if you're just going online in general matchmaking, uh, it doesn't really exist without some sort of ranking system uh, built in. And it may have not just been that popular in Halo, or as a term.
0: Yeah, there there haven't been too many ranked modes that I've played in, and most of the ones I did play in were consoles. And the console and the PC circles used to mm-hmm. be much more separated um, than they are now. I am I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, having you know multi- cross platform multiplayer was mm-hmm. not a thing for the longest time. And even now, I would say it's only really starting to become the norm because of certain games. Mm -hmm. You know, as much as I bitch about it, like Fortnite has really pushed cross-platform multiplayer a lot. It's not the only game I know, but it's it's a really big one that has pushed cross-platform multiplayer forward in the last few years. But, anyways, yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything else. I don't think I have anything else to say about. What, what Valve is doing to the Smurfs. Well,
1: how about what Valve is doing to the gamepads? All right. So, one last uh, topic. Uh, Steam will tell you if your game supports DualShock or DualSense controllers now. And I really don't see any downsides to this. It's basically going in and having more options for developers to highlight we support uh, DualShock or DualSense uh, controllers natively compared to just seeing them as default controller and having, you know, press button three, right? Yeah. <sighs> uh, Xbox controllers still are, you know, kind of the gold standard for PC. Although, yeah, you, know, you can play with anything on a PC. Uh, I've seen... Uh, Twitch streamers playing games with, you know, bananas.
0: Yeah. Yes! Uh, they did that for, what, Dark Souls? I mean, he's done other games that the one not yeah. remember is he played Dark Souls, or maybe he's Bloodborne, using a banana. Uh, uh,
1: a, a, a group of bananas. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the X input that uh, the Xbox uses, which is, you know, all the whole, you know, uh, A, B, yeah uh, you know, uh, the general architecture that has moved away from press button 3 wherever that is right and yeah. standardized the controls across console and PC uh has made it where yeah you know, it's a lot easier to use a Xbox controller uh but there's still according to Valve 40% of uh, players using something other than a, an Xbox series controller So the uh, DualShock, which is what I actually use, although I use it with the the emulator. So it's emulating the Xbox controller, which I know I'm playing a DualShock 4 controller, making it look like an Xbox 360 controller because it's easier that way, right? Yeah. Uh, There's people that use this pro controllers from Nintendo or just the Joy-Cons that there's support for that now. Uh, along with you know just the myriad of other options out there, so having uh, the ability to just glance at a store page and see, oh well, this is going to see my uh, dual shock controller as a dual shock controller, or even better, the DualSense be able to pick up the uh, uh, the additional functionality of it and the extra functionality. I believe in the triggers. Yeah, don't they have two stage triggers? Yeah, I think so. So there's that, and yeah, uh, along with possibly having it where it could use the touchpad for more than just, you know, controlling the mouse. Yeah. Uh, According to this, uh, uh, according to Valve, it says 27% of all controllers on Steam are PlayStation controllers. Woo! So
0: slightly Uh, more than a quarter. Yeah. I mean, still, it it says approximately 69%. Mm -hmm. Nice our Xbox one of the versions of Xbox controller. And there's I mean yeah. there's a bunch of them. But I mean still, you know, so you got two thirds more or less using Xbox controllers, a quarter using PlayStation controllers, and then your remaining what is that? So Twenty ten to fifteen percent using other stuff. So like you said, you know, uh Nintendo Pro
1: controllers, Joy Cons, well, 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 various huh? Well the problem with the numbers is it, they would see anything with using X input most likely as an Xbox controller.
0: Hmm. That makes sense. So then what would the other stuff
1: be? Uh, uh, joysticks,
0: flight sticks? Uh joysticks, flights,
1: uh Nintendo would uh, show up as their own thing. Because okay, here's the thing, it's that uh if I'm understanding these numbers correctly, they're looking for the X input and counting that as an Xbox controller of some sort. So the uh, all the third party controllers that are using uh, essentially Xbox guts are still counted in that grouping. Uh the DualShock uses direct input. As does the Nintendo Switch controllers unless you have drivers installed to make them appear as something else, which is what I do. So I would probably be viewed as having both an Xbox and a PlayStation controller hooked up whenever the hardware survey pops up because of how my system is set up. So th- these numbers are skewed. And I'm not saying that there's a ton of people out there with my similar setup, but yeah, you know, I do think there's a few. Yeah, uh, And just the way that they're saying that Xbox across all series. Well, you could go on Amazon and look at Xbox contro- or, or just PC controllers, and pretty much anything that shows as plug-and-play as a Xbox controller, even the Voyee PC controller that I'm looking here, uh, the wired controller, it, it looks like it's using the, the X-input.
0: Well, and also Xbox controller across all series. I mean, there are f- yeah. six Xbox One versions of the controller, plus the Xbox 360 controllers still work if you have mm. them and the little adapter that lets you plug them into a PC. Then there's the um, the Xbox Series Pro controllers. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a bunch of them.
1: Yeah, well, I'm looking here at, at Old Turtle Beach one for the uh, Series X, uh, Series S, S Xbox One Windows, uh, that uh, claims to have audio enhancements because it's Turtle Beach, but yeah, you know, it's essentially yeah you know, a cheaper Xbox controller, right? Yeah. So the numbers are likely a bit skewed. I would love to know the proper ones, but I, I don't think there's any what, real way to be able to tell. Ooh, I wonder what the uh, the LUNO uh, controller would actually show up as. Would it show up as a other, or...?
0: I don't know. I didn't use one. Did it use uh, it, it, X-Input?
1: I don't know if it's using X-Input. It's using the Xbox uh, uh, layout. I just was browsing through controllers, and it popped up.
0: Yeah, I feel like Xbox really won the layout. I mean, the Sony PlayStation controller layout is... Sort of the other, like, main competitor. Mm -hmm. But I feel like most people just copied the Xbox controller. I mean,
1: Nintendo essentially did. Yeah. Although the hardest thing in gaming is the software X. (laughs) All three controllers, the X button is in completely different places.
0: True. Very true. Yeah,
1: so uh, take that, Elon Musk. Fucking idiot, Elon Musk. What a piece of shit. Uh Uh-oh. Did he do something else, or...
0: Nah, he's just a piece of shit. I mean, I'm sure he did something else that. We'll well, I did see him about. talking
1: about the woke virus eating up his daughter. So, but I didn't click on it because I don't want to encourage more coverage of him. Yeah, which I know, I know we're doing that right now, but
0: I don't know anything I, about any woke virus eating up his daughter. I want to look into that, not right now, but
1: maybe I mean, later. I mean, it's sort of like you know certain politicians that shouldn't have uh, coverage of them. 24/7, but get it because they state they say stupid shit, and do stupid shit. So yep. the 24 news, uh, 24 hour news cycle follows them around and reports on their stupid shit, so they do st- more stupid shit, so they get more and more power, and they're dumb.
0: Yep. Insert prominent right wing politician here, because there's mm-hmm. a bunch of them that fit that bill. You may have your own personal bone to pick with one of them. Mm-hmm. I know I do. Several of them, but anyways, yeah, this is, I mean, this is good. There, I don't think there's any downside to this, just like giving people more information so that they can make better choices is uh, never a bad thing, you know. If you've only got maybe you're, you know, like what who I see this being the most helpful for are people who were PlayStation gamers who have recently got into PC gaming. Um maybe because Sony has started putting a lot of their games on PC now or, or maybe or, just
1: or made their uh, uh their stuff more expensive.
0: Yeah, or maybe they've just seen the light, you know, PC gaming master race and all that. Um but regardless, you know, they've started playing PC and they've got a, a PlayStation controller that they want to use, but they're not and like not I don't mean this in like that they're dumb, like they just don't know that you can do what you're doing, set up a controller to where that it instead of using direct input, then starts reading as X input. They don't know that. And they don't, you know, they're not interested in learning. Or, you know, maybe they don't even know that they can learn to do that. You know, they're just not a super tech-savvy person. They just want to play games, and they've got their PlayStation controller, and they want to use it. Like, this is perfect for that person. And I think there's a lot more people like that than, you know, that are that are coming to PC now. And there's this interesting phenomenon, like we've talked about it before, like, you know the the generation that grows up after the thing has become common does not know how to engage or utilize it in the way that the generation that was alive when the thing started to become common. You see it with cars and all kinds of appliances, and now technology like many of the kids these days are nowhere near as tech savvy as you and I are because they have lived in a world that you know the use of technology has been standard. And is, you know, easily replaceable and disposable. And, you know, this is not to comment on whether or not I think that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just to say, like, they didn't need to learn how to fix that stuff. Whereas you and I did. And so that has made us more sort of inherently tech savvy. And the kids these days are, you know, they're in their their late teens, their early 20s. Like, they've got their, their first jobs or... You know, some kind of income. They're in college. Maybe they get those leftover student loans. They buy a PC. They had a PlayStation. They're good to go. So,
1: so right. So right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is this is unequivocally a good thing. Way to go, Valve. Mm-hmm. Two, Valve
1: two, two. Yeah, Valve did two good ones.
0: But they don't know how to count to three, so this is it. Yeah, But more good ones. Ba-dum-tch. All right. So
1: I'm assuming that you don't want to hit discovery queue.
0: No, it is it is ten after twelve, and that guess, twelve is being midnight. Yeah, it's
1: getting to be pumpkin time. We did have a community corner that we neglected to watch the video of, so we'll tack it on to next week.
0: Yep, we're we're really bad about watching videos, guys. We're sorry. You can you can slap well, us on the wrist later.
1: You just want to get smacked somewhere else. I mean, you
0: you can you can smack my ass and call me Sally. 's been so bad, so bad,
1: anyway, bad touch
0: <laughs> I'm not even coming after you right now. that's for later.
1: Bad touch
0: <laughs> anyways, yeah we so we we neglected to watch the video we'll we'll get it for next time.
1: yeah, which um, honestly, we would have probably been skipping it for next week anyway, because it's after midnight. yep yep, yep. yep. So, hey, Rage, how can people uh, get in touch with us if they want to? Or you can drop uh, the Discord, which you can find a link to that over at vglpodcast.podbean.com, all the way up there at the top. Get emails email us, VGOpodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us, which we're still calling it tweets. It's not excretions. Uh, VGL Podcast on the Bluebird until it you know, crashes and burns. Indeed, which, which it, it, honestly, honestly seems like any week now,
0: right? It does. It really does feel like it's on the horizon. I don't know how they keep going. Um, uh,
1: about- delay, delay.
0: Yeah. What uh, What about them socials of yours, Rage? Why don't you hit people
1: with them? Oh, I've been caffeine rage. You could contact me on the Bluebird Wallet. Yeah, you know, is yeah you know, limping along on one wing. Uh, uh, game with Cr on there, or you could. Contact me directly on Steam. Caffeine Rage on Steam. You've been?
0: I've been, Jared. You can find me on the site formerly known as Twitter, uh, at JMA4707. I am still waiting on an invite for Blue Sky. If anybody listening has one, I'd love one. Um, there's also something called Tribes that I'm looking into. I haven't set it up my account there yet, but maybe I'll have one there.
1: Oh, there's a game that... Yeah, right never really uh, got its uh, uh, rebirth, huh? No.
0: I did play Tribes many, many years ago. But anyways, uh, so yeah, you can you can find me there. Um, also, there's stuff that occasionally goes up on twitch.tv slash runicarts although uh haven't like played or streamed anything there in a hot minute and we're probably not going to for the near future. This probably be the last time I mention it for a while. Life changes for me and mostly the, the players, like just less streaming, less regular, full, like gaming sessions with one of my tabletop crews. Um, and then you can find me, of course, on our Discord. You can find me on Steam, uh, 34707 4707
1: Which brings us back up to the top. Once again, you could contact us via podcast at gmail.com with your letters, whispers, game related topics, tweet them us via podcast. Or try right by the Discord, which which you can find a link to that over at com. And if you wish to spread the love, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. Our intro and outro music is Kevin McLeod. Uh, well, we should uh, cover the Patreon first. I got to hit it myself. Our lovely, lovely patrons uh, made this band um, as, mad as possible. You can find out more about that over at patreoncom podcast. Our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kim McLeod can find his work over at Incomputech.com
0: and as always as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice buh-bye now
1: see ya Bye bye